This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. Hello, I'm Hanif Baharudin and you're tuned into the show that brings you closer to the people and places of our capital city. In this episode, we're going to be looking at the relationship between power and architecture and how power manifests itself in the design of our buildings. It's a topic that will make us think a lot more about the narratives of some of the buildings and spaces that we interact with on a regular basis. Ali Sabrina Ismail, Director of Architecture from the Faculty of Built Environment and Surveying University Technology Malaysia, joins us on the show to help break it all down. She's going to start by defining what power is from the perspective of architecture. Um, so to start off, uh, let me first read a quote by a prominent modernist architect, Oscar Niemeyer. So Oscar Niemeyer is a Brazilian architect who is considered to be one of the key figures in the development of the modern architecture and he is responsible in designing the civic buildings of Brasilia. So one of his most famous quote was that um, architecture will always express the technical and social progress of the country in which it was carried out and it is with architecture that one can disseminate political ideology. So if we look deeper into the quotes of Niemeyer, it can be understood that throughout centuries, the relationship between architecture and politics has been constantly intertwined and well demonstrated. So commonly, powerful leaders and ruling regime in history have embarked on a campaign of a building to mark their presence and authority in society. So this is very important because scholars like Sudi, Sone and Goodsell were mentioning that this phenomenon often occurred in many of the modern states throughout the world due to the uprising of political regimes because they greatly relied on symbols in the form of architecture, ritual, ceremonies and displays to project the idea of legitimation. So the main goal of these modern states, particularly the newly independent countries, is that for the purpose of unifying the masses, representing achievement and try to gain acknowledgement from the populace. So if looking back at your question, Hanif, you were asking um, how does, uh, in the perspective of architecture, what is power actually? But before I delve into the keywords of power, there are actually four important terminologies that we need to understand. These are political ideology, then power comes into place, and that followed by authority and then legitimacy. So let me start and begin first with what is political ideology? So political ideology, as you can see, it is actually described as an ethical stance. It is a set of ideals. It is a principles. It is doctrines, myths, or symbols of a social movement. And it's associated with a large organized group like the state or government. So there are various types of political ideologies that exist in the present day societies. You can have liberalism, socialism, regionalism, and so forth. But Giddens states that political ideology is actually the one one that is closely connected with the concept of power because since then ideological systems serve to legitimize the differential of power which a group or individual hold. So let, let me start first. So what, what is power actually? So if you look at power, Lux was saying that there are six ways how power structures operate. First through persuasion, second by seduction, third by manipulation, uh, the third one is from propaganda and you have coercion, direct force, and finally, 
the biggest or the highest level of power is authority. So authority, as you can see, is a very stable kind of form of power because it integrates at all levels in the social order. So it fully depends upon recognition, legitimization and compliance actually to exercise its role in society. So in the common context of the common society, especially in the 20th and the 21st century, you can see that there's a lot of a rational legal type kind of authority that can actually be practiced by majority of politicians. And it is a form of leadership in which the ruling regime obtains its power via a legal and bureaucratic kind of a system. Yeah, I hope that covers all, Hanif, uh, from the point of view of, of how power actually plays a role in terms of the perspective of architecture before I delve deeper into it. Mm. I find that quite interesting because I think um, earlier in your explanation, you said that, if I'm not mistaken, you said something along the lines of um, it's important for especially a newly established country to rely on um, architecture uh, because it's perhaps symbolic right, in that nature. So is that perhaps, you know, one of the ways, you know, power can manifest itself. Yeah. So leading to, to, I guess, my second question, right? You know, how does power usually manifest itself in architecture? You know, how can the, perhaps the concept of power be seen perhaps in the, not only like in, in buildings, but in the design of a building, for example? Yeah, that's true, Hanif, because as you can see, architecture is commonly used as a tool in the service of politics by ruling government. And this one you can see throughout centuries and especially in the um, 20th and the 21st century. And as you can see, architecture is actually is a symbol to serve for the state. So this is happening because the dynamic qualities of the architecture form and the spatial layout help to translate the building function into a kind of a non-verbal coding system, which makes communication with the user possible or in other words in a more simplified version architecture can be a form of sign and symbol that can communicate to the user and have the potential to transmit messages to the mass populace so in this sense there are two generic architectural aspects that usually designers look into one is form and space and because these clearly demonstrate the relationship with politics and power so I, I will go one example after another and we will try to look in the aspects of architecture form first and how does architectural form can translate or symbolizes the idea of a political power or political ideology. So if we look into the architectural form, for instance, the building scale in terms of its height, the length, the width and the depth, it can actually signify dominancy and control. So this prevails when the built form are presented in a very large, tall or huge manner. Sometimes it can be vertical in height or horizontally massive compared to the human proportions and other surroundings. And when they have significant visibility and kind of a dramatic sculptural effect, like having heterogeneous facade design that is richly decorated with floral phenials, embellishment and sculptural elements. And one of the examples at the global context, I think it's much easier for the audience to understand, is the Bush Khalifa, which is located in the uh, United Arab Emirates. And currently, it is the tallest building in the world. So Burj Khalifa was built to showcase the economic, the political strength of the UAE country as the modern developed Islamic state. And this is important for evoking the feeling of impressiveness to be remembered by its audience and also to assert a kind of identity to the world and not only to lend the visual prestige and symbolize the dignity of the patron, but it also reinforce the patron's immediate authority and to project their influence in society. So there are also other aspects when we talk about architectural form, like location of the building form. So if the building form is located on a higher ground or in the middle of an open lake, so it can become like a prominent kind of a structure 
that convey the building creator. So it intends it to be noticeable and recognized. So uh, these these are the things. And if you are looking into the spatial context also, spatial play also a major role in terms of symbolizing the idea of political ideology or architecture uh, power in that sense. And there are four types of spatial organization that commonly found in the build form, which capable of portraying the concept of power. And according to Vail, these are spatial hierarchy, you have spatial structuring, density, and spatial division. So for instance, uh, if we look into spatial density, density in an enclosed space and if it is portrayed in exaggerated height with depth with outstanding uh, characteristics with uh, huge structures and so forth it can produce a higher sense of awe due to its maximum spatial quality that can draw individual attention and this can create a psychological kind of a powering impact to the audience Yep. So, so I hope that that answers in terms of the architectural two generic elements in terms of the form and also in terms of the spatial layout that relates to the concept of power in architecture. Mm. So it's not just limited to sometimes height or size, right? Because I think sometimes you yes. associate height and size with dominance, like you said earlier, right? And also because it's more like imposing sometimes, you know, when you look at a tall building, you look at a very large building, it gives you that sense of awe, like you said, and also that sense of like imposition, right? Wow, okay, this is so grand. But it's not just limited to that, right? A building can sometimes be still small, but be designed in such a way that it's very ostentatious, right? To a certain extent that you can somehow see you know, the building trying to, I guess, impress people in, in that way, right? Yeah, it's true. Uh, because uh, at the end of the day, it's actually depending on how the patron trying to convey the message to the audience. So in, in this sense, the patron or the designers play an important role in how to reflect the building in terms of its function and in terms of its purpose. So if you're talking about architecture and try to showcase it as, as a sense of a symbol of power, and in that sense, it, it has to be in, in a monumental kind of a form so that it can stand out out of the crowd. So it can be visible, so it can be prominent, it can be easily visible from far. So these, these are actually the angles that actually designers or the patron of the building try to play out when they're trying to symbolize this architecture as a political uh, ideology or a political sense of showing showcasing power in that sense. Mm. What, what about buildings like prisons, for example, where I think the, the, the need to perhaps showcase power is still there, but not so much in a very grandiose kind of way, if you know what I mean. You know, like, yeah, yeah. How, how would you categorize a building like prison? Okay, if you look into prison, uh, it is a different perspective of power is, is being uh, shown in the way of, of expressing the idea of power because that is known as coercion another kind of a level of power, not authority. So coercion in that sense, uh, you are trying to, to safe keep the prisoners inside within the prison cells. So if you read uh, the book written by uh, Foucault and when he did a discussion talking about coercion and power uh, in prison, so he talks about the limitation of power is more towards the spatial organization of the prison itself. So in this sense, the power or the authority is, is being placed in terms of the guard prisoners. So if you you look in the old prisons, I'm not so sure whether Penjaro Pudu is, is, is still, uh, it's not there because it's already being demolished. But the way how the uh, 
Pudu prison was designed, it is based on the concept of uh, cohesion, where you have the middle kind of a centralized kind of a system that you can monitor all the prisoner cell. So this is a sense of power also, but it is translated into a different level of power in architecture, at the level of cohesion rather than at the level of authority. So if you look at public buildings uh, or administrative buildings, it is more towards uh, the level of authority of power. So it is more towards the level of uh, the patron of political ideology, trying to rally for masses, trying to get uh, recognition, trying to get support by using architecture. So there are two different sets of levels of where you want to see power is translated into architecture. Mm. And it's not, it doesn't necessarily have to, you know, sometimes, you know, when we use the word power, you know, it can sound like pretty intimidating, but it's not necessarily meant to be intimidating, right? You know, you can design a building that's architecturally speaking is powerful, quote unquote, but still friendly because, you know, like I said earlier, if the aim is to gather the, or rally the support of the masses, it's sometimes it works that way, right? Yeah, because if you look back into how looks interpret uh, the idea of how power structure operates in society, there are actually six levels, like I mentioned uh, previously. You can have it through persuasion, you can have it through seduction, manipulation, propaganda, or you can have it through coercion, like the one I mentioned about prison design and things like that. Or you can have it through direct force or maybe authority. But most of uh, a lot of patron or designers, they prefer to use the level of power at the authority kind of a level because it is more a stable form that actually can be accepted by all social order. So in this sense, you can get easy recognition, legitimization, and it also comply to the need of the society. That was Ali Sabrina Ismail, Director of Architecture from the Faculty of Built Environment and Surveying, University Technology Malaysia. And we've been talking about the concept of power in architecture. More on the topic after the break. Stay tuned. I'm Hanif Baharudin and you're listening to I Love KL on BFM 89.9. BFM 89.9, you're listening to I Love KL, bringing you closer to the people and places of our capital city. I'm Hanif Baharudin. Ali Sabrina Ismail, the Director of Architecture from the Faculty of Built Environment and Surveying, University Technology Malaysia, joins me on the show to talk about the concept of power in architecture. She has spent the first half of the show breaking down the definition and how power showcases itself in the design of our buildings. Now she's going to give some examples of iconic buildings that we are familiar with and how they relate to the personalities that were in charge and responsible for their developments. Um, I would like to give some examples of, of buildings in Malaysia to portray the concept of power, especially looking into authority. And uh, with that, I would like to give two sets of examples here, if it's, it's okay with you, Hanif. You're looking into the parliament building and also at the Perdana Putra. And these two buildings that I choose actually because they example two different sets of power even though it falls under authority and it showcases the set of political ideology of the two most influential leadership in the country. One is led by Tunku uh, during the, the, the construction of the parliament building and another one is during the Mahade era during the when Perdana Putra was constructed. So let, let me explain a, a little bit first uh, the scenario of the era of the political milieu during the Tunku Abdul Rahman era. So as you can see during the Tunku Abdul Rahman era, the country is actually uh, in the stage of adapting 
to the change in the system of government from the British ruling to the local people. So this makes the era undergone a lot of changes in terms of the rapid growth from development, especially in the major cities. And the second, the country at that time, Malaysia, is trying to deal with a lot of racial conflict that still plagued the country due to the stratification that had been distributed by the British before independence. And this distribution had actually hampered the racial unity effort and has created dissatisfaction among the races. And the third one is the beginning era of the Islamic Dawah movement in Malaysia. So at that time, uh, there's a lot of uh, crisis happening in the country between the political parties. So uh, UMNO at that time, under Tunku, are trying to get uh, all the Malays rally the support under the ruling government and be united. So in this sense, uh, if you're looking at how of these three scenarios of this political uh, thinking or ideology and how does it relate to the parliament building. So this is very interesting because as you can see, Tunku approach in terms of the political strategies is more towards the idea of modern nationalist ideology. So his main aim is try to unite the Malays, especially the multiracial community, and try to consolidate within the building of the national kind of a spirit. So that's why you can see how the parliament building was designed is translated into uh, using the symbol of unity, uh, being a national monument, and it adapts the kind of a modernistic expressionism style. So this is this is how the parliament building was constructed. And as you can see also, Tunku's intention tried to highlight Malaysia as a newly independent nation. So in this sense, if you look at how the parliament building was built, it uses a lot of uh, modern elements to it try to showcase innovative uh, kind of a structure designs to it and in in terms of the appearance of the uh, symmetry kind of a form uh, orderly and structured detail elements and using a lot of monotonous colors and the design is more towards community friendly kind of an approach to make it as a national landmark that is easily visible and identifiable as a national monument to symbolizes the national achievements so looking at the strategic location of the uh, Parliament building also, it is located strategically in the capital city area in Kuala Lumpur. So this is how uh, a little bit of how political ideology are translated into architecture. But if you're looking at the, um, during the reign of Tun Mahade, when, when he designed the Perdana Putra during that era, they are a different kind of a scenario of political milieu in the country. Because at that time, it is much more of getting rallying support from the mass populace. So in this sense, if you look at the country itself during that time, the political scenario showed like an era of strengthening in terms of the Islamic Dakwah movement. And the strengthening of this Islamic Dakwah group is actually the main competition for the country's dominant political party, which is AMNO. So at that time, the main intention was trying to gain support and divert the attention of the community, especially the Malay Muslims, towards looking into AMNO. So in, in this sense, you can see the idea of the uh, political ideology under Mahade, it actually revolves in getting the community confidence towards the leadership of AMNO as the most dominant party and also the top leadership in the country. So Tun Mahade's strategy was that trying to get the legitimacy of the guarantee of the political power, the party leadership, the dominance leadership and strengthening through progress and material development. So that's why you can see how Padana Putra was designed is a bit the opposite from the parliament building. So in, in this sense, if you're looking at the way how the... Um, 
what you call that, the Perdana Putra design, it's more towards looking on the aspects of uh, Islamic integration or Islamic agenda integrate into the part of the design. And in this sense, you can see the design of the building is more showcasing towards the uh, Mughal Islamic architectural style as the main concept in designing the Perdana Putra and with the blending of uh, Malay architectural touch to it. So this this is the ideation uh, by the assimilation of Islam and Malay is trying to get what I'm what I'm saying is that uh, the perception not only the global community regarding the Malay Muslim race at the local level but also at the international level. So these these are the two example of sets of building in the Malaysian context that show actually how power are translated into architecture. Yeah, mm. and it's also very like you said. I mean, based on the examples that you've given. Um, two different eras, two different um, leaders, right? Um, so it also highly depends on the the leaders, the the individuals themselves, or like, for example, do they perhaps like consult the whole administration or is it down to personalities who are quote-unquote dictating these concepts, you know, whether subliminally or intentionally? Well, during the process of a design, actually, um, there are actually um, involvement of the designers. There are also in the level of involvement of the patron. But but usually, uh, I, I cannot just mention that the patron dominates in terms of the design or maybe the designer dominates the, the building design, but it can be equal in both sense, which, which approach that they should take. So if you're talking about administrative building to symbolizes the country as, as a political landmark of the state, for instance, so it is, it is a, a kind of a building that is played a very important role to showcase the built environment landscape of, of Malaysia. So in that sense, uh, the patron may also have an influence on the designer and trying to put an input to their political ideology or political stand to symbolize it in the building form. So in, in this sense, they may, they may be a role in that sense, the role of the patron uh, in terms of the building design also, rather than looking into the aspect of designer itself. Yeah. Mm. How about legacy? Is legacy a big question in, in, I guess, the concept of power, I suppose? Because, you know, it's one thing to, to I guess, showcase your dominance or your authority in the form of symbols via architecture and buildings. Uh, but at the same time, do the question of legacy also linger in, in you know, the thinking of, of, for example, yeah, designing these buildings? Yeah, legacy is always play a role in architecture. So whoever a building patron, whether you are building any type of building topology, ranging from religious, government, commercial, official residence, um, educational institution, or other type of building topology, well, whoever the patron is at the back of your head, you might have the sense of a hinge also, a hunch saying that one day your building will stand, it will stand maybe for another 10 years, 20 years, or 30 years down the road, unless it's being demolished by somebody. So the, the legacy plays a role also in in terms of showcasing power so to what extent is the legacy uh, to what extent that the leadership trying to to showcase in terms of their power so that also plays an important role when you're discussing about the word of legacy and architecture and we have seen this a lot throughout the centuries the pyramid for example it still stands until today so the pharaoh so it's, it's a very important person and throughout history if you learn about uh, Greek architecture if you learn about Roman architecture the legacy of all those uh, generations the patron of the building is still remembered up until today even though it's like uh, I don't know 
know, 100, 300 years down the road. So that's why what I'm saying is that, Hanif, architecture is is very powerful. Okay, So it is a very powerful tool. If you are not careful in how you interpret and how you portray a building or built environment or architecture design, it is something, a message that you will give to the next society and to the next generation. And it will continue on. Uh, even though after the building is being demolished. So this this is the sense that what, what I'm saying is that architecture play an important role in society's history and they actually shape the history. Mm. Speaking of architecture, I know, I mean, sometimes, you know, we can be quite literal in thinking about, you know, buildings, you know, but like, what about a space like Dataran Merdeka where, you know, especially recently these days, uh, for the past, I guess, 10 years, 15 years, uh, it has been used as a space to contest that power to a certain extent. Yeah, what about spaces like that? You know, you know, we have the conventional buildings and architecture, I suppose, but for a space like Dataran Merdeka to also be invoking that kind of... I guess, feeling not only among the powers that be, but also among the people, right? And then there's that, you know, contestation that always happens, you know, especially um, recently with regard to the space. Um, so, so yeah, what's what's your take on the whole situation there? Does that mean that, you know, as much as power can always be seen, especially political power in the form of architecture can always be seen in building designs, I suppose, maybe the, there is that form of contestation between the people and also the, the powers that be? Yeah, because this this is this is the game in architecture actually. Because if you look, there are two important generic elements that that make up architecture. Okay, one is um, the form making, the form, the building form, and another one is also space. So space also plays an important role in in shaping or, or determining the function of how it is being used or being utilized, especially by the masses, the populace, or by the user. So in in this sense, if you if you read a book written by uh, Dovi, so he was mentioning that there are four types of space that I mentioned earlier uh, that relates to political power. In this sense, we are talking about spatial hierarchy, spatial structure spatial density and also spatial division so when when you're talking about urban context or we're talking about living in an urban area public spaces also play a major role in terms of how actually the user use the space for so what is the function so if you're using the the space function for political rally for demonstration so then it can transform itself to become a, a, a political uh, statement or to become a political stand for the public to to speak out their mind or things like that so this is this is goes back to the designer itself how do you design the space and how do you want the user to use and utilize the space so that's what what I'm saying architecture is a very broad range so it covers a lot of different level of society whether it goes up to the um, administration level it can goes up to the lower range of society which is the the common people so if you're talking about the Taran Merdeka uh, maybe at times the Taran Merdeka can be used as an entertainment place but if you want to use it for rally for political demonstration you can transform it and use it because it's an open public space so at, at the end of the day to me about talking about architecture and power it is actually determined on the patron uh, on the function and also how the user utilizes the building space or the building form itself Um, so we've been focusing our conversation, the bulk of our conversation on uh, political power, right? But can this concept of power be manifested in a different way? For example, um, in the form of perhaps, uh, I guess, uh, ideological or societal differences. Uh, for example, 
the upper class, you know, imposing their their might to the lower class, you know, or perhaps the corporate world, you know, imposing their their I guess dominance in a very capitalistic society, uh, uh via you know all the you know buildings that they design for their benefit. Yes, definitely, Hanif, because the concept of power in architecture is not only limited um, to government institution buildings. It can also surface in society and community led by the influential patron in the community, depending on their interest, purpose and function. So this, this kind of purpose and function actually, or the scale of influence uh, showcasing dominance actually can spread throughout different different types of building ideology. So as, as for example, uh, I'm taking example the um, LCC, okay, the, the tallest building uh, in, in Malaysia currently. So as you can see, KLCC doesn't like the administrative building. It has a, a different kind of uh, symbol, not for political ideology, but it is for modernity and capitalism. Okay, to showcase the power and authority from a different point of view, trying to showcase Malaysia as a modern state, uh, trying to showcase uh, Malaysia as an icon uh, of a modern state compared to the other states uh, in the world. So in this sense, as you can see, how the Twin Tower Petronas was built, uh, created through the evolution of technology, trying to show the economic status of the country, the Islamic tradition, and also trying to assert the identity of Malaysia as a wealthy state in a high-tech industrial development that is equal to other developed nations, namely the West. So this showcases a sense of a progress to be more noticeable and to be more supreme. So like what I'm saying is that uh, it can range to any type of building and depending on its function and also its purpose. So in, in this sense, if you're looking at the Twin Tower Petronas itself, the way how it was designed of a facade system using a lot of glass and steel panels by uh, designed by Cesar Pelli, is trying to showcase also the idea of Islam to it, the re reflection of the Malaysia's Muslim religion in the country. So it is, can become a rounder kind of a thing to showcase it as a visibility landmark to symbolize the ruling body's economic stature, religious stature, the country status to the uh, open society. Um, I find it quite interesting because, um, for example, like can this concept be seen in in rural areas, for example? You know, if if because it, I think it's simpler to uh, think about the concept of a modern city or a a developing city to have a lot of like tall buildings, for example, whether from from authorities or from institutions or from you know corporate companies, you know it's it's, it's sort of like I guess easy to look at at, at these um, buildings as or these spaces as a form of I guess power contesting with each other, right? But you know, in a rural environment, say for example, right? Um, how do power manifest itself in that kind of environment or in that kind of society? Um, what kind of contestation do they have uh, and how does it manifest? Okay, uh, if you look at the rural area, for instance, um, the, the interpretation of the, of the terminology of power, it might be translated into a different kind of sets of an architecture. It might not be in a monumental, uh, large or tall scale building with a lot of embellishment and decoration to the building. Um, but, but it can be translated into how that building was uh, designed for the purpose uh, to, to the need of the society. So in this sense, if you look back, uh, if I explain explained earlier on how power structure operates in society. There are six ways that is mentioned by Luke. Persuasion, seduction, manipulation, propaganda, coercion, direct force and authority. So if you're looking at the rural places, for instance, I'm taking the example of Madrasa, for instance. So Madrasa also 
can show a sense of power to it. But maybe the power is not at the higher level of trying to um, manipulate, trying to coercion people like the prisoner. But in that sense, it, it maybe try to persuade people, uh, try to teach people about religious uh, belief and things like that, uh, how to associate yourself with Islam and things like that. So if you can see how madrasa was designed, it also has a sense of power to it, but the power is more moderate. Uh, the power is more translated into more persuading people, try to convince people try to showcase uh, people about the Islamic religion. So one example, if I can take, uh, uh, there's a one madrasa located, uh, Madrasa Kubang Bujo in Trungano. It was openly designed. So it is trying to get a, a higher kind of uh, confidence from the surrounding people or the surrounding community to come to the madrasa to learn about Islam. So the madrasa was designed openly in that sense. There is a sense of power, but the power is more towards persuasion at a very kind of a subtle way of exercising power so this is how you interpret as designer how do you want to showcase your building so that's why what i'm saying is that you have to be careful if you're building design in, in such a manner it can showcase a different sense of power but if you're trying to showcase in a, in a more kind of a moderate kind of power it can be very open to society it can really be accepted by all Mm. So, so to summarize, from the perspective of, of of a designer, yeah, you need to somehow I think be a bit more aware of how the design of your building can also project power, right? To a certain extent, at least that's based on my I guess understanding of of what you have said. But um, what about for the society uh, themselves? You know, uh, I, I guess you know in this conversation we've been talking about the concept of power. But how can our listeners start thinking about power, and how should they go about? I guess you know understanding it and understanding their surroundings. How, how how should we, I guess, process and digest all this information and relate it back to, to the way we understand our our buildings and architecture? Okay, if, if you look into today's discussion, okay, building will always be symbols of human culture. So it can suggest a lot of social, political interpretation of the condition of a society, its internal organization, and its ideas of the nation itself. So therefore, it is uh, important for you to understand what is actually the ambition of the patron or the designer trying to showcase. Because this is very important. It can give a worthy lesson for the future researchers, the designers, the politicians, to have an objective voice or thoughtful consideration in describing architecture. What, what is the purpose? What is the function? And, and what is the need for us to design that kind of spaces? Is it for the convenience of the community? Or is it for the benefit for the ones who utilizes the public building? Or is it designed for the building for the benefit only for the patron? So this actually gives a credence to the idea that the designer must be imbued himself with a proper kind of a knowledge of history, of politics, of architecture, in order to make a balanced judgment in formulating a design theory and principles for any building or for any built form that they intend to do. So the basic understanding structure is needed because if you look at Malaysia itself, we are quite weak in this one. So... In Malaysia, we need to have a lot of uh, intellectual discourse, debate, questions about the function of each building that we constructed and have a deep understanding with regards to the building design goals and aim. So if all the above can be a lesson 
you can uh, solve the problem and you can also uh, implement a kind of a good design that actually portray architectural vocabulary that have a common understanding between individuals, building design that show equality between the government, the people and the user and having a design that has relationship to the surrounding context like climate, technology, decorative elements, culture, arts, heritage, identity. And the most important one, Hanif, is the value that symbolizes Malaysia as a country's administration, which is parliamentary democracy. So if you would, if you understand the word democracy here, democracy means demo, which is Kratian uh, in the Greek word, means like it has to be equal to everyone. It has to be utilized by all levels of society. So this is the main goal, actually, because if you're not careful about this, then your building some sort uh, will become an individual kind of a thing. So it will become the patron to serve the, the individual patron needs. And at the end of the day, it showcases the idea of a power in architecture just only to fulfill the need of the patron, not for the bigger masses or for the bigger populace. You've been tuning in to I Love KL and that was Ali Sabrina Ismail. She's the Director of Architecture from the Faculty of Built Environment and Surveying University Technology Malaysia. And we've been talking about the concept of power in architecture. That's all we have for this episode of I Love KL. If you miss any part of the show, you can check out the podcast at bfm.my slash ilovekl, our app which you can find via Google Play and the App Store and also Spotify. Don't forget to also follow the station on Twitter at BFM Radio. My name is Anif Baharudin and you've been tuning in to I Love KL bringing you closer to the people and places of our capital city. Stay safe and join us again next week only on BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, The Business Station.